Hey, Christian, what was your first computer? Hi, Adam. Um, I think my first computer was a Pentium 3. Um, back then, my parents bought this computer to do some office stuff. Um, and yeah, I started playing with it. <laughs> and that's how I, get, how I got to the computers, I think. Well, games were uh, there before, so I started with Nintendo. Oh, uh, but yeah. So you got the uh, Pentium 3 and uh, you, you meant playing with it. Means uh, gaming or just, you know, fiddling around? Both, actually, yeah. So I think my first game was some kind of Star Wars game, <laughs> um, but uh, at least on the computer. But before I played, you know, Mario and all those Nintendo games. Okay. Uh, yeah, and that, that kind of got me interested into, you know, games in general and how games work. Yeah. Uh... Was it Star for uh, Star Wars? You said was it Dark Forces the game? You remember that? I I actually don't know. No, <laughs> it was on a CD-ROM back then. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, one, I don't know exactly. I think it was one of the first ones. Uh, because uh, for other reasons, I just remember the Dark Forces, which was you were I think you were the Luke Skywalker, and you could walk around and solve puzzles or something like this. So what I remember, mm -hmm. and I also had Pentium. It was even earlier. I think it wasn't three. It was two or something. Okay. okay, so you played lots of games. In one point of time, you started to do something different, right? Or what? how you started coding or, you know, destroying your computer with DOS or whatever? <laughs> well, I'm not exactly sure anymore how it began, but I think I uh, got hooked into RPG Maker. I don't know if you've no. ever heard of that. Uh, essentially, that's... Uh, like a, a tool to make RPG games, you know, those two-dimensional games where you just mm -hmm. uh, can go up, down, left and right. Uh, and, you know, it's like more of an adventure where you can talk to uh, NPCs or uh, do some quests. Yeah, like uh, Diablo. Like, uh, well, kind of, yeah. I think Diablo was uh, in 3D then uh, when I played games. But okay. yeah, I mean, 2D was, was the thing. <laughs> Back then, I think uh, Diablo was the... 2D. What I remember is you 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 saw a, a, a figure, a creature from above, mm -hmm. but okay. it was not. I mean, it looked a little bit 3D, but it is like from above. It was two dimensional. I think you could only go you know left and right, but not up. I don't know what 3D means. I think I only played Diablo three. What um, is Diablo RPG? Actually, well, or, or what means I, RPG? Which sure. games would be RPG? What are you doing in RPG game? Well, RPG is a role-play game where you are uh, some some kind of character and you follow a storyline where you can uh, do some side quests. Uh, I think the most prominent example is uh, Final Fantasy. Okay. That's one of the biggest games uh, in the RPG sector. Uh, and yeah, I mean, back then, Final Fantasy 1 and 2 were uh, 2D RPG games. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, I mean, they got more advanced, of course, uh, in, in, in the time. I think I started with uh, Final Fantasy VII or something okay. like that on the PlayStation One. Yeah, that's that's the. Well, what do you have to do? You have to write, I don't know, text, or you are moving around, or I, I can just cannot imagine what. Yeah, I mean, back then it was uh, everything new to me, you know, and I learned about variables. Uh, so you can uh, do like conditional stuff. You can do on every object on the map. Uh, you can put some conditions on whether to render it or whether to do this action or that action. Usually it's dialogue based where you have like, uh, you say this object should uh, start this dialogue when ah. uh, you click this button, for example, uh, and then you can add conditions and stuff. But usually you have a, a fixed plane where you can design uh, what kind of tiles you want there so you can model a world. Uh, and you can say, okay, this object is uh, through this object you can go through, or this uh, you cannot. And then you just program by by conditions, and you can move around uh, mm -hmm. and do stuff. Yeah, but uh, still, I don't got what Final Fantasy was about. Were you creature, and you had to talk to other creatures in the? So you do you have to write text actually? In the game? You know, Final Fantasy was a game, uh, like a an, an actual game that you could buy from Square Enix. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and well, the, the idea is that you uh, are a character in a new world, and yeah. the world is uh, threatened by some dark force, and you have to, uh, yeah, overcome that dark force or try yeah, sure. to save the But crystals. what you are doing? Are you going? <laughs> uh, are you actually inside a creature, or you, you seeing you know the creature from above 
and you and you're talking to other creatures, right? Is it like yeah, you're you're seeing that the character you're playing from above, and uh, usually you have a party where you can uh, play with the different characters uh, within okay. the party, and it's usually fight based. Uh, so you know, it's like the usual uh, round based fighting where you uh, do some attacks and try to win. Uh, yeah, just win. <laughs> okay, I got it. And and the uh, RPG maker was like uh, the IDE for that, right? A kind of uh, IDE uh, well, to, to create a simple game, I would say. So like, you know... Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Yeah, so like there were some games, more yeah. sophisticated games there. Um, few people really took that serious and tried to create actual games, like vampire games and stuff like that. But I never got very deep into that uh, because I, at some point, uh, uh, attended the uh, HTL. It's like a high school okay. for more technical stuff than... Uh, in that school, I learned actual programming, C programming and stuff. So yeah, I kind of <laughs> dropped that then and focused more on, on the actual programming. And uh, the model maker thing, which programming language you used? Was it like if else, or should they like, you know, they invented their own programming language or was it something comparable with, I don't know, Lua, Java, JavaScript or whatever? It was more graphic, I think. So if you look at uh, those graphic programming languages, Google offers, for example, now, where you have these blocks uh, mm -hmm. that you can just uh, put together. It's very similar to that. So okay. you just have like a global variable map where you can assign names and okay. then use these variables. And the program state was kind of uh, globally saved okay. uh, all, uh, the whole time. Yeah. And Google still offers this uh, language? I think, yeah, that's the, the new kind of programming language they're trying to uh, advertise, I think, for kids, you know? Oh, for uh, kids, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I think I'm not. I'm not sure. I didn't try it out. I just saw it a few times. Okay, it's more like a graphical block uh, language. So I, would have to try, I ne never saw it from together. Google, so I would have to check it out. And uh, mm -hmm. okay, and the is the model maker still around? Uh, sorry, the uh, RPG maker. You don't you know it? Uh, I'm not sure. No, I mean, uh, I, I tried uh, to to look it up uh, ten years ago or so. Oh, ten years. And I found it. Yeah, you know, I just wanted to see how it goes uh, and. I actually saw that they had a 3D RPG maker, uh, okay. but I don't, I don't know if, if any games actually came out of that. No, but it was fun just to look how mm -hmm. they did it and uh, no, just, uh, just to get some ideas about the user interface and what's the output is also interesting, you know. Okay, so, um, so you started actually programming with the RPG, it was programming, visual programming with the RPG maker, and then you, uh, you started with C, which was probably a mm -hmm. shock for you, right? Well, I mean, I started with C in, in high school. Um, it was a shock, yeah, because it was all terminal-based. Yeah. Uh, so you didn't have any graphical user interfaces, which was kind of boring for me because I was already uh, used to work with the, those, those IDEs, so to say. And now I had to go back to an editor and uh, program console applications. Yeah, but uh, we... I think the, that was only the first year to uh, get us to know all these uh, structured programming features uh, like control flow and so on. And in the second year, we actually started with Java uh, and also with uh, graphical programming. So we started with Swing uh, and that was kind of fun then. Okay. So the learning progress was very fast, which was good because I was very interested. This is uh, strange that you started with C and then moved to Java. I would start with Java and then learn C because it's easier. Properly, right? Because... I don't know. My teacher said that mm, it's more appropriate to, to know the basics first before you actually okay. dive into the object-oriented parts. And I think it was a good decision. I mean, I, I knew how things work behind the scenes. So I, I knew that there is memory and I need to do memory allocation. And then I got into the managed world with Java. Okay, uh, this makes sense. Which, yeah. Okay, this makes sense, you know, to learn the computer science makes sense to learn a language, you know, starting with C, which is hard, and then move to Java, which is easier. It is, uh, it is uh, hard stuff. Okay. Um, so what was your first, you know, interesting program written in C? So what you wrote in C, was this anything interesting or were you just more or less forced by the school, you know, to learn C? Well, I was forced, of course, but uh, <laughs> I was interested as well. Okay. Uh, I tried to implement some, um, I don't know, dialogue-based uh, programs. Of course. Like, uh, I don't know, some, some kind of games, I think. You know, it's like uh, an adventure, okay. Dungeons of Dragons kind of like. But I didn't know Dun Dungeons of Dragons back at that time. 
uh, I just realized that it was very similar. Um, mm -hmm. And then I also tried to implement some kind of inventory application mm -hmm. just for fun, you know, to see, okay, how can I implement user interfaces? And yeah, it was kind of fun, but I never really uh, took off with C or anything. It wasn't that interesting to me. Java was really appealing. So that's why I'm still in Java. Okay. So uh, C, you did something, you know, uh, you tried to know again a game. So it seems like you were motivated by RPG, right? <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> and then uh, it, it didn't went uh, uh, went well, and then you started with Java. So were you more successful with Java? So what was your w first with which Java version you started? You remember that? I think it was one dot five. Wow, back then, yeah. I'm I'm actually pretty young. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is what uh, I, what, I, what I'm thinking, right? Uh, yeah. Um, one five. So it was like you know the modern Java already. Yeah, indeed, it was. Um, yeah, and I think I programmed, or I, I tried to program similar things, you know. <laughs> RPG? Um, J JRPG? RPG again. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but, of course, not with an editor. I mean, back then, I think NetBeans was very big, and mm -hmm. I tried to, to model the, the plane with NetBeans. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I mean, at some point, you just have to get into the code and uh, do stuff there. And it, it kind of worked, but... Uh, I mean, I was rendering on the CPU, so it was uh, okay. quite slow. Uh, and the computers back then weren't that fast. So, yeah, it was not really a success, but it was a project. I, I tried things out. It was uh, I was doing threading and stuff. Um, it was cool back then. So you used the uh, visual editor of NetBeans to, uh, for yeah. the graphical stuff with Swing, I think. And, uh, okay. So was it a game like text-based game, I guess, right? Or was it visual? No, it was actually visual. It, it was, was 2D. Really, Java uh, 2D back then? Yes, yes, right. Uh, well, I mean, it was Swing, you know, I was just rendering images. I had tiles, and ah, okay. I just okay. rendered tiles over tiles. And yeah, but since the, all that was CPU-based, uh, it wasn't very efficient. Is the game still on your GitHub account? No, no. It was Why not? School it would be fun, right? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, uh, uh, maybe I can look it up. Yeah, like a Christmas, you know, just to, just to, to conserving your history would be actually nice. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, this happens at your HDL or university time, right? Exactly, yeah, it was high school, HDL. Um, but wait a yeah, second, I mean... HDL, this is like in German Fachhochschule, right? So this is like no to no, university. No, no, it's a, it's a level below. Oh. It's... So you have the first eight years are normal school, and yeah. then uh, HTL is five years after that. Uh, yeah, and you uh, you complete with a matura or abitur in yeah. Germany. Yeah. Uh, but with a uh, what's a the what's the English that... term? You know it for abitur? This is like oh. this is like oh. the abitur. I think this is the um, like after high school. I would say high school graduation. Yeah, 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 exactly. So okay, then we got. Uh, FOSS is called Fachoberschule, and this is like a two-year, like something between, you know, the uh, the Abitur and the study, right? Is it this what you're talking about? No, I actually really learned five years programming and project management. It was really just for software engineering. Okay, so, and, and after that, did you something or you were ready to... After that, I started to go to the university. <laughs> Okay. Uh, at the Technical University in Vienna, and mm -hmm. I did software engineering, or at least I started. Um, I did like, I don't know, four years of uh, the bachelor part. Um, and in parallel, I already started with the master courses because I had prior knowledge mm -hmm. uh, from, from the school. Uh, and I almost finished all the courses except for one, I think formal methods uh formal methods the, the big o notation yeah. and all the stuff right probably yeah it's theoretical yeah. uh computational stuff <clears throat> yeah it's uh the thesis i didn't finish the thesis why not neither the the bachelors nor the masters uh i don't know i started a few theses and um it never really was that interesting to me it was kind of a time waste because mm, i don't know it was everything they wanted me to do uh, was just what they wanted for for their projects, and I never really identified with these topics. Uh, I tried once with a. Well, what was uh, it? Roughly, you remember that? Uh, well, one one professor wanted me to do a migration 
uh, and said I should cite from a book that was from 1980. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, the book was talking about uh, the, the chicken. Uh, no, what was it called? Uh, there's there's two two migrations uh, or mi migration stories, and uh, I don't remember anymore. But it was very ancient, so to say. So I, I wasn't very appealed by that, uh, and I didn't really get much help or responses from from that professor. So I you know uh, said I I won't do that anymore. Uh, then I tried a different one. I actually wanted to to develop that uh, Maxine project that was the uh -huh. uh, that was before GraalVM. This is this is uh, crazy. You are one of the views who actually remembers the name Maxim exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, it was a research VM back then, and I was very interested in uh, yeah. virtual machines. But but how uh, you how you got to the Maxim? So how you knew that it actually exists? I was having this uh, operating systems course, and where we learned to uh, develop a scheduler for uh, a toy operating system, mm -hmm. and I was kind of interested in operating systems back then, and I was uh, trying to figure out if it were possible to uh, develop an operating system with Java. Mm -hmm. uh, and I kind of came into this area where uh, you, you had to compile Java down to native. Mm -hmm. And I found the Maxine VM, which uh, kind of supported that. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's another project, which is actually a Java-based operating system. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I, I never. The really uh, Java-based operating system. I actually tried that out. I forgot the name. I, I even wrote a blog post about that, so I will have to look it mm -hmm. up because uh, it booted. So I tried that, and this was a complete operating system written in Java. You remember the name? Uh, no, but I think if you enter Java operating system, it will be like the first result in Google. Something with JAWS, right? Was it not JOS? Yes, yes, right, right, you're right. Yeah, it was very interesting. I actually looked into how they implemented drivers and stuff like that. I mean, they, they had like a native API, native memory API, where they could uh, model the, the native memory access. Mm -hmm. And they kind of compiled that down to, to native code. So they had a um, an assembler, uh, so to say, that, that uh, outputs assembly code. Exactly. And this it, JOS. I was confused because there is a Lee JOS, which is for, for Lego, and uh, mm -hmm. this is JOS from SourceForge. Um, uh, yeah, this is, and, and I actually tinkered around with that just for fun, and I was able to boot this on my machine, which was interesting back then. So it actually worked. So this was the crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay, now, interesting. So you, st so you did uh, lots of interesting stuff already at the HDL, and during your study, then uh, you, you, what you did interesting during the study with Java, remember that? Prior to Maxim, uh, or Java, something in your leisure, you know, in your leisure, something study is usually boring, but it's something interesting with Java. Well, back then I actually started with PHP, and oh. um, <laughs> yeah, when I was at uh, at high school, I uh, kind of was in love with Java, but I still liked PHP because you could do stuff so easily with PHP. But I it was lacking a standard library, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I actually tried to port parts of the Java standard library oh. to PHP. To get a object-oriented model there and uh, yeah. stuff like that, but yeah, I just you know was uh, uh, trying to look into all the classes and figure out what they're doing, trying to to mirror that into PHP. It was a kind of fun exercise, but I never really used it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, with a colleague of mine, I back then at high school, we tried to to uh, program CMS systems. Uh -huh. Back then, I think CMS systems were uh, popping out like. Uh, mm -hmm. You know. The funny story is uh, I I did uh, I created CMS systems with Java because they uh, mm -hmm. I had no idea about PHP and was afraid of PHP and the CGI you know so um, okay. I convinced my clients we should use Java because it's the only programming language I knew back then so funny that you started with PHP so but it was later yeah. so I started with JDK one zero one one and you were obviously JDK one six timeframe already I think mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean it was easier back then the, you had these self HTML pages where PHP was uh, kind of explained as well mm -hmm. um, so the, the the entry barrier was very very low you know mm -hmm. you didn't uh, really need a compiler or stuff like that you just started a server locally and so uh, you browsed the page and it just worked you know but your trajectory is really strange you started with C then Java then PHP and now no, no, it was, now, now it was now... PHP PHP, uh, C, Java, and yeah. No, ah, okay, because uh, <laughs> I, I think, you know, if uh, you should be assembly C, Java, PHP, and then you will end up using Visual Basic, you know, this would be <laughs> <laughs> from hard to easy on easier. Okay, nice. So you did PHP work at university. It was not like nothing interesting with Java. 
No, no, I, I did a lot of uh, stuff with Java. Um, well, at, at the high school, I, you know, with a colleague, I tried to implement CMS systems, but we never really finished off our CMS. We had a few prototypes. And then uh, at, the, at the high school, we also learned uh, about JSF. Uh -huh. And I really liked JSF because it was, uh, yeah. I don't know, it was a very, very nice programming model. And I think it Angular still, still and is. all I, the I would say UI frameworks yeah. today, they, they have a similar uh, model for developing, uh, which, which I really like. But I don't know, I mean, you said it a few times, you don't know what the compiler does in the background. So, uh, But with JSF, you, you knew what was happening yeah. behind the scenes. Uh, that was cool. And we tried to implement the, the CMS then with, Java with the I would JSF. say uh, JSF is white magic and Angular is black magic, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, but yeah, we we tried to to implement uh, the CMS with JSF as well, but it also never took off. It was just uh, playing around. Um, but we did a few websites with PHP and uh, WordPress back then. Uh, we also started a company called Blazebit, oh. uh, where we actually wanted to do some projects with high customers. School. Yeah, high school. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we learned actually at school how to, you know, uh, start a business and Crazy. stuff like that. Crazy, how old were you? You were uh, not even 18, uh, right? 18. No, I was 18. So okay. in the last year, uh, I okay. was 18 and turned 19. And yeah, that's when we started the business, right after school. Yeah, great. And we actually had a customer. We tried to uh, do a web shop for this uh, yeah. person. But uh, yeah, we, it, it didn't work out. So he had very... Uh, specific thoughts on how to do things and yeah i mean that never works out with the designer which my colleague was uh so yeah we canceled yeah. the project and then we did some smaller things you know uh some jobs so to say um and next to it we had the yeah university. but you earn but you earned some money right so it was yeah of course yeah this was nice so um i also had you know strange uh requirements back then but it was earlier than you uh i think it was around it was prior to thousand and uh, I created also a shop, and uh, the client wanted from me that I will create a virtual uh, assistant in pure mm -hmm. HTML, which speaks and responds to my wishes. You know, it's something like Siri in 3D in browser back then. And I told mm -hmm. him, "This is I, I cannot do this. It's really almost impossible." It's like, hey, why not? Everyone else knows this is very possible. This was a new economy. You know, back then every company mm -hmm. claimed they they did such a thing. I said, okay, this is crazy. So I can fully understand, you know, where the problems were back then. Okay, so the, you did it at uh, at the at your is like high school or HTL time, and then during the university you did you continued with your company. Yeah, I mean, I'm still continuing with the company. I had the company all the way uh, up till now, and I still plan to continue with that work. Uh, but next to the university, I uh, started to work for another company. Uh, to get some money in. Okay. Uh, and at that company, I really started off with uh, using Java EE uh, in, in, a, in a business application. Um, and I brought JSF uh, into that company. Was and, it during, during uh, university time? During, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you said, so okay, I, I want to learn some money, so I have worked some for consulting. Yeah, exactly. And can you, what company was it? You know it still? Which? Yeah, I was, I was there uh, until recently. It was nine years at that ah. company. Uh, CureComp Software Services. Okay. Uh, they're doing a, a supply chain management system. Okay. Uh, yeah. And I worked on, on big parts there. I was at the end, more or less, the, the architect. Um, and I, yeah, switched to Red Hats recently. You're working uh, for Red Hat right now? Yeah. Yeah. First of November, I started at Red Hat. Oh. Yeah, working on the Hibernate team now. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So, I did some projects there. Um, we were allowed to uh, do open source projects in our uh, free time. Mm -hmm. And I started you know, with the usual problems uh, like Hibernate or JPA uh, fetching was not efficient enough. And then I was thinking, okay, how could we improve that? Uh, you know, just fetch these associations here and there that was prior to JPA 2.1, I think, before entity graphs. So yeah, I just uh, wanted to, to improve the fetching and then kind of started off with a project called Blaze Persistence, mm -hmm. which is uh, the main project now I have. Um, yeah, but now it's a query builder. Before it was just you know, a utility method to add some fetches to a query. Mm -hmm. It was kind of doing parsing and then adding the fetches. So it but means you started by the company to earn some money and uh, you wanted to do something with JSF? 
Yeah, and, right, and was right. it successful your JSF idea, or you immediately started, you know, with the backend? They are, they are still using JSF. Yeah, I mean they're using prime faces now with custom themes and stuff. Yeah, like JSF that, is so still fine. I, I mean JSF still works and it's still uh, very productive. If you don't need, is. you know, to be pixel perfect, so if you just use what it, whatever is there, you can be very productive with JSF. So it's not like you can do pixel perfect as well. I mean. Uh, yeah, but you know, what you shouldn't do, yeah, 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 you can do with CSS, but, uh, you know, if you're starting to modify the components, this is where the trouble starts, because yeah, uh, right. th this is what I meant, you know, um, you are, because then you will have to understand or to modify Java, HTML, and CSS, this is what I meant, right. but if you can just pick, so very successful JSF projects where we just pick the components, prime faces mostly, and we're happy with it, and this was like, you know, extremely productive. Mm -hmm. Any larger yeah. projects where you know strange architects, <laughs> right? If they choose to you know a JSF and the uh, the dev and the clients wanted something else, then then it was harder because then you know developers said they create their own components, whatever. And this is this will this never pays off. It's just too much work to do usually during mm -hmm. a normal project. But what I meant is you wanted to 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 use JSF at the company. Right? Yeah, right. And you use JSF yeah. or you immediately you know were for were forced more or less to use JPA. Uh, well, JPA is for the persistence layer, of course, yeah. but uh, I mean, they, they used JSP before uh, okay. and they wanted to modernize a few okay. things. So it, it was kind of uh, played into the cards that I uh, wanted to bring in okay. JSF. Uh, and yeah, they were very happy with it. So uh, the whole system, or let's say 60% of the system is now based on, on JSF. And they are real, really happy with it. The company grew to 20 people now, I think. Oh. Uh, back then we started with three or four. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. And uh, which application server you used back then? You remember? Uh, back then it was WebSphere and it was a pain in the ass. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> I hated that one. Um, and yeah, I worked, I don't know, I think. But it's unusual that years. such a small company uses WebSphere. Well, I think the CEO, which uh, who also was the CTO, uh, had a background at IBM. Okay. Um, and they were an ISV for IBM. So okay. they uh, received a lot of, of the benefits there. Um, yeah, they just used WebSphere because, you know, it was IBM. There's a saying, like, no, no one was ever fired for yeah. buying IBM, you know? Yeah, but a company with no three persons, no, no one gets fired, you know? This is what <laughs> yeah, doesn't exactly. make sense, because if you a three person, there are three persons. So they're, 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 all the political, you know, games are actually irrelevant for a small company. Yeah, but they made, uh, they actually advertised that they are using IBM and they had big uh, companies. Oh, okay. Uh, Okay, this, this this back then could work because IBM was big, right? So yeah, um, right. the old IBM WebSphere was for me as as you know as strange as uh, Angular is right now. So it was for me it was like I don't know what happens inside. I, I mean, what they are doing, no idea. This is so huge and so slow, and everything else was so much faster. And mm -hmm. what what I don't know whether you are aware of Open Liberty. This is the new WebSphere. This yeah. is a huge. I mean, Open Liberty is I think orders of hundred times faster, or this is on on. It's like like you know different world I would say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Plus, I mean I heard yeah. I heard that they are not using any of the old uh, WebSphere code no. anymore. No. Yeah, that's, that's I, I don't know whether <laughs> any code because uh, also also the WebSphere you know, the old one was based on open source, but the new one is the it's completely different. So um, yeah, it's very I'm small. It is more know. like Quarkus I would say. So something like mm -hmm. this. It's just like completely different world. Okay, it was okay. WebSphere with JPA and JSPs, and you introduced JSF then, right? Yes, right, right. Uh, so we had JSPs and then JSF in parallel, uh, and you know, tried to uh, model a few new modules into the system uh, with JSF. Uh, and the first attempts were not so successful, but the second or third attempts then were really successful, and it took off. So we uh, sold a few new modules for for the system. The system is actually a SaaS based. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have subscriptions from uh, big, uh, well, what do you call it, um, machine building companies. They have uh, rigid processes uh, and, and many suppliers really want uh, to get the, their, their components from different sources. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, they, they took a few of our strategic modules uh, and we're very happy with it. And yeah, just took off. We, get new developers or develop new modules. Uh, and at some point we decided, okay, we need a refresh, design refresh. Um, and we, we took uh, a prime faces theme, a pre-built one, mm -hmm. and adapted it to okay. our needs. Um, 
yeah, it worked out. I mean, still, that's and, why and, I'm saying and, and it's, they are still it, using possible. Webster, right now. No, no, not 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 Webster. Uh, that, but that, that's what I was saying. It, it's perfect. It's it's perfectly possible to be pixel perfect with JSF. Mm -hmm. uh, so you just have to to have someone who can uh, change the CSS, and it works out. Yeah, really it has good. to work because at the end of the day, JSF emits you know markup, and if the yeah, markup right. is semantic or or at least you know somehow reasonable, you can absolutely do pixel perfect stuff. But what, mm. what you cannot do easily is to modify existing components. This is what I meant. Maybe, right. Yeah, exactly. Prime faces is really good now. Um, I don't think there's any feature it's lacking. Uh, I mean, there's yeah. a few small things. When you use the whole component suit, you know, you will find at least some, some little things that need adaption. But you can usually work around these or request the feature, and it will be implemented at some point. So it's, it's perfectly possible to develop modern applications with JSF. A nice looking one. So they yeah, it yeah, exactly. really looks great. They look great, the uh prime faces. Okay. Yeah. So um, but we switched we switched to Wildfly. <laughs> okay. So I I always was uh, kind of a, a fanboy of, of Red Hat and, yeah. and JBoss. Mm -hmm. Uh and back then I wanted to use the, the JBoss seven, I think it was the application mm -hmm. server seven. It was well, I wanted to ask you which time frame was it? Which year was it if you when you introduced JSF? Uh, so I started the company in 2011, I think, okay. um, around that time, yeah, okay. 2011-12. Mm -hmm. So then you switched um, from WebSphere to Whitefly. Yeah, right. Was right. it hard? So that was, that was the first step. Uh, well, it was kind of hard because they were using lots of uh, IBM proprietary oh, okay. uh, technology. Yeah. And I first had to you know, switch to the standards and stuff like that. So it took me a few months uh, in parallel to, to doing the normal work. Uh, and then I finally got it set up, uh, and we we decided to go with Wildfly 10 back then. Okay, which which worked fine. Yeah, uh, we were using Wildfly 10 for quite a while, um, and then we uh, migrated to to OpenShift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, when when we op uh, when we migrated to OpenShift, we also decided to do a migration to PostgreSQL because before we were using IBM DB2. Uh huh. Which was a pain in the ass as well. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's it's a nice database, but it has a few restrictions that are just I don't know why they're not fixing that. That's which which restrictions, developers. for instance, you remember? Uh yeah. For example, a table name cannot have more than thirty characters. Ah, okay. I don't so know why. <laughs> yeah, uh, and you cannot have uh, null columns and unique constraints, or there's no partial uh, indexes, stuff and like that, which. Modern Postgres supports. Okay. And I really like it. And Postgres, I think, is also a good choice because Postgres is a very popular database. And uh, what, what's amazing is they have a great, you know, JSON support. And uh, mm -hmm. there's almost a, like NoSQL database. They come with, they come with you no know, special support. So you can have geo, geo data. So it's actually an amazing database. And, and it really takes off it right is. now. Mm -hmm. It is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we needed support, uh, but... Back at uh, university, I started a startup called uh, Sweezer. Oh, we were doing um, what to call it? Uh, this was like competition, Tinder. competition, in-house competition to Blazebit, right? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, a colleague <laughs> of mine <laughs> was was doing a course, uh, innovation, something like that. That was a, an additional curriculum, and they there was kind of an entrepreneurship uh, curriculum where they had to, you know, fictionally develop an idea and uh, try to get it going uh, up to the point where they could just start doing it. Okay. Uh, and they decided to actually do it. Uh, so a colleague of mine and uh, a friend he met there. And we built up a team. So my, my friend from Blazebit uh, and these two other colleagues, uh, we were four people and we tried to, to do that. It was Tinder for shopping. Ah. So you... Uh, had like the usual uh so it's, it's like a usual aggregator for shops uh but it was in the tinder style mm -hmm. back then it was very uh cool to have stuff like that because mm -hmm. you could do very interesting analytics because you had the uh, the, the choice uh, the people made for every product ah. like do they like it or not and we actually planned to uh to do the, the analytics stuff to sell it to the uh to the brands or to the shops that were uh, attached to it but yeah, it didn't really take off. We tried, uh, I think, two years or so. We had the app in the iOS store and uh, Android store. And backend was, uh, was... Java? Yes, right. right. Wildfly, nice. of course. <laughs> uh, 
uh, in the front end was uh, Apache Cordova. Uh, uh-huh. Again, which, which was killed a few weeks ago, right? It was okay. I yeah, the, uh, I think they stopped that. the build system. So the, the Apache Cordova is uh, or uh, Adobe uh, Apache. The, this is uh, uh, Apache Cordova is based on Adobe. I have to. I forgot this. Um, it was open source by Adobe, right? Cordova? Uh, no, I, I'm not sure actually. I mean, all I know is that Cordova is uh, like a compatibility layer yeah, that it's adds a wrapper. native what, native features into a JavaScript API. So you just develop with HTML, JavaScript, CSS, mm-hmm. and the the interesting things uh, uh, like I don't know GPS location and stuff like that, they are emulated uh, through JavaScript APIs mm-hmm. that are uh, developed as as native plugins. And I think that's that's still in use. Uh, what I meant is PhoneGap from Adobe. Ah, PhoneGap. Okay. This is I, I confuse both, but they are similar. I think I think PhoneGap was the predecessor. Yeah, they... this is what I meant. So this is what I'm, ah. um, because these uh, phone gap, yeah, is uh, end of life, I think. And mm-hmm. Cordova should be as well. So, uh, but backend was white light. And um, how you created the backend? Was like, you know, uh, a, a lean Java application, like, you know, thin wars and nothing, or what was your philosophy behind? I'm a little afraid to, to ask, not that you have no five DTO translation layers, so, but uh, or was it more pragmatic? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, we, will, we were very pragmatic, you know. It's, uh, it was a startup, so yeah, that's we what I mean. To, to produce results fast. Uh, and we switched to, to native, uh, uh, to direct SQL execution if, if needed, if we couldn't get it done yeah, sure. fast enough. Um, and yeah, it worked out pretty well. So, I mean, we were using all kinds of... Uh, uh, extraordinary features like, I don't know, uh, advisory logs uh, from, from PostgreSQL and stuff like that. Uh, we actually also had a consulting company called CyberTech back then mm-hmm. that helped us optimize a few queries. Well, you have a lot of really companies, wanted... you know, you have, there are more companies <laughs> than people, right? So you have BlazeBit. No, we, <laughs> no, we, uh, we, we approached the company. Ah, you approached the company. It okay. helped us. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and they helped us optimize a few queries and our data model because we had a few performance problems. That was, I think, the start of uh, AWS back then, or where it really kicked off, 2016 around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we had a few problems, performance problems with uh, RDS. Mm-hmm. Which uh, is managed because, uh, Postgres, right? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. But it's it's backed by uh, EPS, the the block storage, yeah. and you know you you pay for every I/O you need. Yeah. Uh, and we didn't want to pay that much money, <laughs> so we tried to you know optimize as much as we can because we uh, financed the, the startup uh, all by ourselves. Mm-hmm. We didn't have an investor back then. Mm-hmm. How expensive was to, it? Do you remember what you paid for the hosting costs? Roughly. Uh, well, uh, just RDS, I think, was around uh, two or three hundred uh, dollars per month. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we actually committed for um, a reserved instance for one or two years, I think. So mm-hmm. we already had a discount. Okay. And I mean, that, that, that's just expensive. You know, you could yeah. just uh, buy on Hetzner, for example, a server. This is what I meant. Was... This is why, why yeah. I'm asking you, because <laughs> what I believe is that this is actually more or less the future. That you can, you know, buy, uh, buy uh, co-located servers and then mm-hmm. install your own cloud on the server. Uh, that would instance. be very cool, yeah. Because uh, be I already cool. heard some startups are doing this uh, to, and they save uh, 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 lots of money, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, because the software, you can just, you know, you can even, you know, uh, um, you can pay Red Hat for OpenShift from on whatever machine you like. You know, you don't you don't have to mm-hmm. run OpenShift on AWS or something like this, for instance. Right. So you can absolutely do it on colocation, and I think this is an interesting mix. This is what I ask you yeah. why. Mm-hmm. We we actually had a development environment like the testing server uh, on on such private machines, uh, and yeah, I mean it was very fast, faster than our uh, production environment actually. But the production environment needed uh, the multi-availability uh, zone handling and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So we, we wanted to keep AWS. Also, we just thought that uh, if someone invested into us, we needed to be able to scale. Yeah. And scaling with uh, custom machines and custom installs is just harder. Um, yeah, but I'm not sure if that, that is really the case. Uh, I don't, yeah, because I think until you reach, you know, the, 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 the need for true scaling, then you could migrate, you know? Because mm. I can, you can achieve a lot with your custom machine. The problem you will get is the global availability, right? With Amazon, you can buy CDN in Australia, whatever. If you have your yeah. lo- local machines in Austria, this is a little bit harder. 
but uh, this is the only problem I see, I would say. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah. Yeah, but that, that was about it, I think. I mean, we <laughs> we tried to optimize things and uh, try to find investors. And how well actually... worked Whitefly in the cloud? Because, you know, people say Java is not cloud native or whatever. So was it uh, any troubles oh, with perfect. that? Perfect. It, it was perfect. I mean, you had to specify the, the bind address, I think, uh, with minus B. Uh, so we, we had yeah. AWS uh, EC2 instances mm -hmm. with a startup script uh, where we just, you know, started Wildfly immediately. Uh, and then downloaded the, the war file from a repository, mm -hmm. put it into the directory, and it, imme it immediately started uh, Wildfly, stuff like that. And it worked out. We did clustering, uh, and it worked fine, really. Okay. So you're happy with the decision. Okay. So then, um, and then afterwards, you started at the uh, logistic, no, log was logistic company? What do you, no, not logistics, uh, supp uh, the, the supply chain management. Supply chain yeah, management. It was all in parallel. All <laughs> in parallel, crazy. In so there parallel. were no leisure, yeah. right? So everything at once. Right, right. There was no leisure for a long time. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, after university, after I uh, stopped doing that, it was around uh, 2018, I think, mm -hmm. um, I started to do some more for myself. Um, but yeah, I still have Blaze Persistence, the project, which also grew uh, during that startup experience. I use your Blaze uh, bit, uh, the Blaze Persistence at your startup? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we actually developed quite a few features because we needed it there. Mm -hmm. Which features um, you needed at your startup from, from Blaze Persistence? Uh, well, we were using Entity Views, this uh, DTO projection library, quite a lot um, because we wanted to reduce, you know, uh, the queries to the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. We didn't want to to select uh, all the the columns that were in a table because we, you know, had kind of a denormalized table model. Yeah. Uh, and we we didn't want to select everything. Uh, that that was the main part. So, mm -hmm. uh, entity views was about uh, reducing the the amount of data uh, and modeling the the DTO at the same time, which worked out perfectly fine. Uh, but then, you know, you had joins and stuff like that. You wanted to optimize that as well. Uh, and that's what we uh, developed very hard on, yeah, back then. We we tried to uh, implement subselect fetching and stuff like that. And back then I had the idea to use, you know, the JSON aggregation functions mm -hmm. uh, to actually reduce the, the network traffic amount by folding together collections that you need to fetch. Mm -hmm. uh, and I recently implemented it uh, one year ago. Okay. Um, yeah, it works out quite well, actually. Um, so, I mean, I, I had to tune a few things, but... Uh, what do you mean JSON aggregation function? It means that the, uh, for, from uh, all the objects, you aggregate JSON into one larger. So you're using JSON as the DTO format, or...? So imagine, imagine you have an entity and you have a one-to-many association, mm -hmm. and the entity has a few very wide columns. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, for example, text columns with some description, mm -hmm. uh, and when you join the one-to-many, uh, the database actually has to duplicate the tuples for every element in the mm -hmm. one-to-many mm -hmm. uh, collection. Uh, and that's just a waste of network traffic. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you fold together all these uh, collection elements into a JSON representation, mm -hmm. database just uh, you know, has to, to serve you the one record, the one tuple, with uh, the, the JSON payload, and you just deserialize that on the client. So, oh, it's, uh, so, so, so you are storing JSON in the database already? No, no, no. That that's the point. Uh, you can have the relational model. Yeah. But you just say you want to fetch this collection with uh, this multi-set uh, fetch mm -hmm. strategy, as I call it, uh, and it will do do this this join or this this fetching of that collection through a JSON aggregation function. It will just uh, push together all all the rows uh, that are associated to to the main entity into a JSON string. Mm -hmm. And that would be a, a part of the result set, and then deserialize it on the client side. So this already happens on JDBC level. No, it does not. <laughs> this is what I meant. So uh, you can do it on the JPA level, right? So, uh, but JDBC does not know nothing about that. So this the JDBC returns whatever it returns, and then you yes, can right. optimize, right? Uh, well, no. When you when you normally do the join, then yeah. you would have this this multiplication of rows, and that that's just too much network traffic. And if you uh, adapt the query so that it doesn't have to produce these rows to, to alter the cardinality. Yeah. And it just folds down uh, the, the contents that you need into a single cell, so to yeah, say. Yeah, but are you sending a join to the database or not? 
Uh, kind of, yeah. I mean, it's a subquery, and the subquery does the aggregation. Okay, so that's what I got you. So and, this is, uh, yeah. I mean, you're changing. It's not like, you know, everything remains the same and you do something magical with the entities because what I thought what we are doing, what I did uh, to avoid DTOs, uh, my entities had a, had, had a method like to JSON, Mm -hmm. And you could aggregate on that level, but it's already too late because, you know, the database yeah, did right. already the work. So I was curious, what do you mean by aggregation? Because I aggregated, but a level mm -hmm. uh, up and you're aggregating uh, at the lower level. So uh, my, yes. you know, my goal was to avoid unnecessary objects and your goal mm -hmm. is to increase per uh, performance so, uh, to, yeah, different, uh, to different goals. Now, now I got you a little bit more. Uh, so some of history. So you joined the AirHacks TV and I say, why you hate uh, the DTO so much? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and right. I took a look at the Blaze bit. And what I, what, what, I, what I assumed is you are working for a larger company for a longer period of time. And there are lots of tables and you had the need to know to optimize that. And, um, and, and what I thought, I was pretty sure you are working for government. So that was my impression. No. <laughs> no. But they, they ask, you know what, why? And... Uh, and uh, now I get, you know, to optimize performance, this could make sense, such a thing. So this is like, you know, optimizations. But in my project, it's not like we have performance problems. We have more problems with um, crazy architects, I would say, right? So uh, mm -hmm. they would like to have all the layers, not to, you know, to increase the performance, more or less, you know, to decouple the layers, which I don't believe at all. In the entire decoupling, mm -hmm. in the entire history, you know, uh, it, it could be interesting. But it is not not a real problem, I would say. You know, if you well, I think it depends. You know, I mean, uh, it always depends, of course. But uh, decoupling has a few benefits, of course, also uh, a few problems. Uh, but I I took a look at the the possible solutions. You know, I was thinking, okay, DTOs uh, would be a nice approach to to model this uh, statically typed. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was thinking, okay, how could we achieve that? How could we uh, model the information where to get the data from for the DTOs into the DTO definitions to reduce the, the boilerplate as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, if you want to, you know, fetch just uh, one or two columns, you have to write the type for it and you kind of have to wire that together. You have mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, uh, write the select statement yeah. and remove all the unnecessary joins that would be normally created for, for reusability, for example. Uh, and and wire the, the values into objects, and that was kind of bothering me. That was uh, cumbersome. You couldn't reuse logic. So if you had uh, big where clauses with joints and stuff like that, where you did lots of business logic, uh, you couldn't reuse that because uh, it was always tied together: the projection and the business logic. And I what was do you mean by business to... logic? Business logic is the where statement for you, right? Yeah, exactly. The where statement. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and joins, of course. So, I mean, you could... Uh, so what you are saying is, like... if there is a complex query, it is not reusable mm -hmm. because the result exactly. of the query is always mapped to the same entity, right? Yeah, either entity or custom uh, results at mapping, you know? Uh, yeah. That, that was bothering me because uh, maybe I needed a different representation. Maybe I just need the name and not the full entity for, mm -hmm. I don't know, a drop-down list, for example. But this is already an optimization. So my approach would be... Yes. If this is fast enough, I don't care. Give me, you know, the entire entity with the entire graph. If it's fast, fast, uh, fast, canook, <laughs> fast enough, uh, I'll just do it, right? And you already tried to optimize because uh, of your startup, right? So you wanted to be as yes, performant right. as possible with uh, as low cost as possible, which is your driving factor, you know? Yeah, right. I mean, I did an article for Marcus Winant. Uh, he's an SQL ambassador, as he calls himself. Okay. Um, and uh, I actually wrote about that, uh, that you might miss uh, index-only scans if you select too many columns. Because mm -hmm. if you have indexes that uh, fully uh, satisfy what you actually need, mm -hmm. uh, then reducing the, the columns that you actually select is really brings a performance improvement because it does not have to go to the heap, find the, the row for uh, the tuple, uh, and, and fetch the data. It can just satisfy your query by, by looking into the index, which is quite impressive actually uh and you know by just thinking so, so what you're it, saying right now is that you should prefer indices over caching right this is what you said right yeah of course uh, that's that i would always say that <laughs> i mean in the indexes are great they're the greatest invention of databases i think uh, they magically make everything uh more performant that's just awesome <laughs> no no yeah, yeah i know it easy. but if the entities are already in the cache could be even faster right 
You don't have to go uh, to the database at all. Well, well, caching on, on JPA or entity level has a few problems. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. This is, uh, I just wanted to, to, to hear your opinion. So, um, yeah, I always yeah. deactivate caching and see what the performance is. And if it's good enough, there is no cache. So c caches yeah. uh, cause a lot of consistency troubles. And, uh, and uh, yeah, yeah it, is, it is hard to do it right. And many projects just don't test it. And they believe it is going to be faster just by turning on the cache. That's, that's the problem. But um, mm -hmm. now I would like to understand what you actually did with the placebit. What is it? Is it a bytecode processor? Is this library which extends, you know, JPA? So what is technically placebit? So placebit is, is my company. Oh, uh, Blazed Persistence. Yeah, yeah Blazed Persistence is the project. Uh, and it's split in two parts. So there's the core part, which is a query builder. And the idea of that is to uh, give a different approach to writing queries with the JPA model mm -hmm. because Another thing that always bothered me with JPA is the, that the dot operator, the navigation operator, mm -hmm. uh, produces inner joints. Mm -hmm. That just does not feel right. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was the first change I had in mind. You know, you could just write, uh, I don't know, uh, order.customer.name, uh, and you would get a name if there is, uh, uh, if, is a customer, and if there is not, there is no. Okay? So that, that would be more intuitive in my opinion. And I, I wanted to do that, uh, and the Query Builder uh, builds on, on that uh, idea uh, and also extends the model. So it actually has uh, support for lateral joins, all the advanced database stuff, CTEs, recursive CTEs, uh, set operations, union, and that stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to build the, the Query Builder that just supports advanced SQL stuff for once. And next to it, I had the, this project called Entity Views, which builds on top of that. Uh, and uh, which is actually a, a library to, to model DTOs where you can uh, just write interfaces mm -hmm. uh, and you can map interface methods uh, to some kind of uh, source representation. So you have these mapping annotations where you can put in what I call GPQL next. So it's like an, an, uh, the next version of uh, GPQL as I imagine it. Uh, where you can have uh, inner join, uh, where you can have with a dot operator uh, the the left joins, and can use the brackets uh, notation to uh, have indexed access to collections and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So you can actually have a target representation, your interface, what you want to to have as a result, uh, and map back where the data should come from. Mm -hmm. And it will only fetch that data. So the idea was always that uh, you can apply this entity view, this projection onto an existing query. Mm -hmm. so you, you have this query built with the core builder and you just say, okay, and now do these projections and it will adapt the query based on, on that information. Two questions. And it will so, be the perfect query for your use case. First question regarding your startup. I forgot the name, you know, with the Tinder for shopping. Tweezer. Tweezer, I says. Tweezer. Tweezer. Like the, sweat, like the sweater, but yeah. with a Z. A Tweezer, okay. Um, yeah. Wouldn't be easier or faster to drop JPA entirely and build something on top of plain JDBC for the startup, ju just for the startup? Yes and no. I mean, we okay. had lots of use cases, you know, I mean, we're inserting data here and oh, there okay. and doing so joins it was, here and there. So it was, it was more complex than my, one might think your startup. So it was actually, yes, yes, okay, yes. complex project. Okay. Uh, and the next one, uh, do you still need JPA or you could completely replace JPA with your invention with deep lace persistence? So why are you I just- still need JPA, yeah. For what? <laughs> uh, for, for the joints and everything. I mean, uh, it, it works on top of JPA. So in the end, it, it will still produce GPQL uh, to a certain extent, uh, unless you use ah. uh, some kind of the advanced features. Mm -hmm. uh, it will still produce GPQL. And you can actually use it for all uh, JPA implementations, Open JPA, Eclipse Link, Data mm -hmm. Nucleus, and of mm -hmm. course, Hibernate. Uh, and for Hibernate, we actually have... Uh, advanced support, so to say. So ah. we support all the advanced SQL. <laughs> so what it means is your query builder, now I got how your technology is working. So your query builder creates dynamic JP, JPA QL and behind the scenes it creates a named query, right? No, not a named query, but uh, an, an actual query. Like it calls create query, so the entity manager uh, create query methods. And it, it gets past the query, JPQL query. And that is, that is parsed, but it, it's cached, you know? But you, like could create, the, you could yeah. create uh, named queries on the fly, right? I could, yeah, but it, there's no performance improvement to that, you know? I mean, 
after all, name queries, uh, the only feature of name queries, and as far as I can see it, is that it's checked uh, ahead of time, or during, yeah. during boot. And the, and the chances are higher that on all databases is going to be a prepared statement, right? Uh, well, the, the, there is no difference between a named query or a normal query uh, regarding that. There is a cache, and that cache is based on uh, the query string. Mm -hmm. So you will always uh, resolve to the same prepared statement, so to say, if, if uh, possible through the connection pool. So you have just, yeah, then you have to be careful with the binding parameters. So you have, you know, in the, the, the name query has to be static with the binding parameters. What, what I meant is because the create query is dynamic and then uh, could be dynamic and name query has to be static, right? Because, I mean, it, it, you, are, mm -hmm. you are usually this an annotation. So it has to be known upfront. And I think not recently, mm -hmm. a few years ago, there is a possibility to create the name queries on the fly. So I was curious whether you're using this or not. So what it means is, we will have to trust your query build that there is no JPA query injection, which is, I mean, easy to achieve because you are you are creating this properly and this is tested. But this could be prevented with named queries, right? If I would create named queries, there would be no that no, it would be dynamic injection. There is no difference the because problem, yeah. the same problem because you are you are creating dynamically the named queries, so not not a, okay. So it means you are a query builder, and the projections is what uh, already exist in primitive form in JPAs where you can map an, uh, a result of the query to a DTO, right? If you get it. Yes, this is, but it's, it's just flat. Yeah, uh, flat. Uh, this, is the, this is the trick. So uh, you can have a, if you know the constructor and the constructor matches mm -hmm. the result of the query, then the, uh, then the uh, JPA does it for you. And you are extended this mechanism, right? Yeah, so you do not have to write a select part anymore. Yeah. You just uh, say, this is my business logic and yeah. here is my entity view and it will generate the select automatically for you to fit exactly what the type says it needs. And yeah. But what are, do, uh, what are doing behind the scenes? You need a little bit bytecode enhancement on generation, right? Because... Yes, I'm, I'm generating the implementation, you know? Yeah. Since you're only defining interfaces or yeah. abstract classes, I need yeah. to define the implementation. I actually also have an annotation processor that generates that during build time. Mm -hmm. um, so you can actually see what is happening behind the scenes. But yeah, I mean, it's just boring wiring, you know? Uh, it's sad that Java has no native uh, tool to do that because it's quite often needed. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just this, this, this wiring. Uh, and then you have uh, an implementation, an object of, of that interface that implements that interface, and you can just use it. What you could also do, you could create a JSONP object for me, right? JSONP. This would, should be easy. You know, uh, the, uh, in Java, JSONP is like hash map uh, with JSON capabilities. Okay. So, you know, there's JSON.create object, uh, then add, 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 add. This would be easier for you. Hmm. Because oh, I don't know. I mean, I like static types. So. <laughs> yeah, you like static types. But we are lots of projects where they didn't make any sense because what we had is a Postgres with JSONB. Mm -hmm. And there was almost no logic, and we use no in front end uh, a JavaScript client. In this particular mm -hmm. case, it would be perfect because I could just have very performant, you know, queries, and, and the result will be a JSONP, which is immediately serialized to by a REST you know, to my clients. Well, you could use GraphQL, for example, and generate the schema from the Java type, which would be a big benefit, you know. The the JavaScript client. Yeah, but GraphQL is not REST, right? So this is a complete different. Well, of uh, yeah, and I the, will... the idea is the same. You could generate through Swagger uh, annotation processor the, the Swagger schema, so that would be a benefit as well. What I think be about this because now you are forced to create, you know, the uh, the implementations with JSONP. Actually, you should create if you are able to. If you would be able to create a hash map, you are also able to create a JSONP implementation, right? And this should be doable. Okay. That your named that your entity, sorry, how to call it, your uh, place persistence context instead of objects produces JSON or hash maps, right? Yeah, of course, that would be possible. But I mean, the, the, the general idea is that uh, that the target representation that you want is uh, defined as Java type, you know? So, yeah. Uh, there is no other ah, way to, to I, do I, the I, mapping, you know? I see, I see where, where you have the problem, right? Because you are putting I, I the annotations, the... annotations on the interface and then yes, you know exactly. that the metadata is lacking. That's the problem. So we could, mm -hmm. we will still have to define, you know, the interface to say what we want, and then the yeah, result right. you can just give me, you know, the class. So there is no benefit on having a generic result because we have the type anyway. Okay, right. now I got it. I, I came from the JSF background, and 
the, one of the biggest problems I had there is that I was able to see all the methods for all the properties mm -hmm. uh, an entity supports, but it might not have been fetched, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't want to use the open session and view concept because I think that's just essentially broken. Yeah, uh, it will uh, destroy performance. What uh, uh, what then... open session in view is is just that uh, the transaction is closed after it's rendered, right? So you 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 have to to do some tricks uh, in order to do this. Otherwise, if the uh, if the domain object leaves the facade, the the transaction closes and is detached. And if it's a detached, and you will try. You know to navigate kind of between loads. between uh, then then you get the unresolved proxy arrow i think is the name and uh, lazy the, loading exception, uh, lazy yeah. arrow, yeah, exactly and if you uh, if you keep it open um so uh, the even if you have transaction it has to be attached then you can navigate you know from the view so which was a known pattern back then and hibernate had yeah. the problems with that and and eclipse link worked a little bit better with that was what i remember as well yeah, but it's essentially broken this yeah. concept, so I didn't like it. I mean, you had all these n plus one loading problems and stuff like that. Yeah. And I always wanted to, you know, have like a subset of the entity, mm -hmm. like a, a view of the entity. That's how the name came, um, where you could just see those properties uh, that are actually fetched. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, because you had such a great IDE integration, you could see like in the expression language uh, all the properties that are available uh, in the type. Um, I, I wanted to actually force uh, that statically typed such that only those properties that are fetched are visible. And yeah, that's, that's the background, how I came to that. I, I wanted that to be statically typed, but of course, I mean, you could uh, always do hash maps and stuff like that, but yeah. I'm just no, hash map doesn't make, I, do I, not, I like don't make any sense, but if I, so in your world, so the perfect architecture would be, I have uh, entities and the entities, uh, still jpa entities which can have logic mm -hmm. or whatever they are just there and then i could use uh, blaze persistence to produce on demand uh, different views to the same entity right mm -hmm. with highly yeah. optimized queries so um this 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 optimization part uh, which is not obvious from 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 blaze bit uh, from sorry from blaze persistence uh, you know it, look it up how it works okay this is somehow interesting but uh, i missed you know the the performance optimization part so I get mm -hmm. better performance and I get DTOs for free, more or less. So if I specify, yes, you know, if I specify the, the, the mappings in an interface, you produce for me the DTO and uh, then you get decoupling, higher performance. And, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, this is what you need for different uh, REST interfaces. So uh, the problem you could get without your DTO is if you have a uh, you know, broad entity, it's our legacy database and the entity mm -hmm. is mapped to a table with lots of columns. And you need to know nicer REST interfaces, and the REST interfaces have, you know, uh, re sorry, resources have just uh, subviews to the entity. So then, then I will have to create DTO, specific DTO, and with your approach, mm -hmm. it's not necessary. I would have one entity mapped to one broad table, and then with Blaze persistence, I could create uh, resource-specific semantic DTOs, right? Which exactly, would yeah. make sense. Okay, but in yeah. this particular case, could make sense that for some for some resources, I just create JSON straight, you know. Of course, yeah. But this, this could be this, the, yeah. But the then types. it's a problem with the metadata, exactly. And if yeah. if I try, you know, to to use YAML to produce the metadata, this would be crazy. So stick with uh, Java. But um, mm -hmm. have you looked at the Java records? This could be also interesting, right? Yeah, I actually also support Java records. Ah, very good. Um, so okay. you can you can annotate a record. Um, with the entity view annotation, and it will figure out which record component uh, belongs to which getter, so to say, mm -hmm. uh, and it will support that. Okay, this is actually yeah. uh, even this is a great great future, right? With Java records, they're really nice for, for for such for such cases. Have you thought you know to participate in the Jakarta e persistence API JPA and try you know to enhance JPA with your invention? Yeah, I mean, since I'm working on Hibernate now at Red Hat. Um, yeah. I'm kind of also working on, on extending Hibernate. And I guess if, if the features play out in, in Hibernate well, uh, there will be some kind of standardization yeah. effort. Yeah, this could be great because we could even get, you know, some persistence for JPA. Uh, sorry, for JPA, for MicroProfile, what I wanted to say, right? Because right mm -hmm. now it is uh, more or less we get it from Jakarta, but this, yeah. Interesting. So um, to summarize, uh, I absolutely see, you know, the added value. 
and uh, we would never, you know, agree via Twitter or email. This is what I can tell you. <laughs> because, you know, yeah. to, to, to discuss it, uh, to see the advantages, disadvantages, you know, Twitter or email, just forget it. It's mission impossible, right? Mm -hmm. A question, can, can, can we buy support for BlazeBit? Is it possible? Yeah, yeah, you can. I'm actually working on updating the websites uh, uh -huh. to incorporate that. Uh, and I will uh, update that in the next few days uh, uh -huh. where you can actually buy support. I'm not sure if this project will uh, emerge into a Hibernate sub-project or something like that, but uh, since I'm at Red Hat now, maybe things will change uh, into the better. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, the project is complex. So what you're talking about is not trivial yes. to do it right. And if you, are, right. if you are in huge project, I would actually ask you know my clients to buy support. Because uh, mm -hmm. if I suggest uh, Blaze per, uh, persistence and then something breaks, I'm actually forced to fix it or at least help my clients because they will ask for, for solutions. So it would be better, you know, the clients give you the money, right? <laughs> and mm -hmm. you will have to fix of that. Course. Then I will try to sweat, you know, with the Swiss or <laughs> whatever uh, and, and to try, you know, to fix, uh, to fix a library which I don't know as well as you, right? So it's natural mm -hmm. su support is support. Yeah, right. I do offer that and... Um... I will send you the links when yeah. it's published. Yeah, they need it. So um, where people can find you, not only you, uh, Blaze Persistence, of course, BlazeBit, and um, yeah, what are the URIs? Your Twitter account and everything. Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I think it's uh, C. Bykov, so my name, mm -hmm. C underline Bykov. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's also uh, an account for BlazeBit for the company. It's mm -hmm. called BlazeBit. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I'm, I'm on GitHub, of course. Uh, all the projects are on GitHub. Uh, and then, yeah, I think that's it. That's, okay. that's my open source profiles. So thank you. So what I would like to do, I would like to reinvite you back next year and talk about, you know, a place bit next or whatever you do or whatever you achieved. And um, I will play with it right now and, and then we'll ask a little bit more deeper mm -hmm. questions because it uh, seems like a really interesting project. And if it becomes uh, some kind of standard, this is super interesting. Right now, yeah, you know, my impression is this is a complex uh, technology with lots of added value. But if uh, something misbehaves, we will need you, which is not a bad but a story. But, you know, if this is a part of JPA, it changes completely, you know, how, how it becomes more interesting for larger projects. So yeah, thank you and see you in 2021. Thank you for having me. See you. Yeah. Bye-bye. <laughs>